0: Is everybody doing? How is 2024 going for you? Good? I can't believe we're three weeks into the new year. How many people in here enjoy setting new year's resolutions? Show of hands. Okay, there's actually not very many. All right, I thought there'd be more than that. Well, I love new year's resolutions. Like the whole January energy is my vibe. I love like goal setting and vision casting and a fresh start. So I was thinking it would be interesting to do a little research and see if I could find out what the top three New Year's resolutions for 2024 are. And I actually found a poll by Forbes. They did a poll to find out what Americans were resolving themselves to do. Who can guess what the top three are? You could just shout them out. Weight loss, physical fitness, that was one. Money, that was one. What do you think the third is? No, but that was on there. Screen time was on there too. Any other ideas? Say it again. Cigarettes. Cigarettes. No, but that would maybe fit with getting healthy. The third one was like mental health. So Americans want to pursue physical, financial, and mental health in 2024. And those are great goals. Like I'm all for all three of those things. You can do those things in God-honoring ways. So I'm not throwing shade at any of that. But the thing is... New Year's resolutions are all about us, like we are at the center of them. And I think at this time of year especially, we hear messages in the culture like, be true to yourself, follow your heart, chase your dreams, live your truth, right? The very fabric of our American culture is based on the idea that anybody can achieve anything. And there's some good things about that, but there's also a really ugly underbelly to that. We live in a culture that values self-actualization and self-fulfillment as the highest goal. You are encouraged to pursue happiness and fulfillment in whatever way makes the most sense to you. But the problem with this is that it doesn't work, that we chase after what we think will satisfy us, whether it's money or a career or a relationship or a car, whatever it might be. And even if we achieve that thing, we're like a black hole that just desires more and more and more. John Rockefeller, who was an oil magnet who lived like eight, late 1800s to you know, mid 1900s or something, he was once asked, he was one of the richest men in the world at one point. And a reporter once asked him how much money is enough money. And he quipped, just a little bit more. And I'm like, yes, don't we relate to that? Like, you, we are never satisfied when we're chasing after the things that the world or the culture tells us will satisfy us. We started a series a couple weeks ago here, working our way through the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. This is in your Bible called second Corinthians, and we titled our series "Promises Promises," because in the first part of this letter, Paul tells the, the church that all of god 's promises are yes and amen in Jesus, and so we have been looking at each chapter trying to mine the text for the promises of God. And this week we are in chapter four. That's the text we're going to look at. And at the end of this chapter, Paul says that we are achieving an eternal glory by the way that we're living. So even though chasing after what the world says will satisfy us, ends in disappointment for us and dissatisfaction, there is a promise of glory that we're actually encouraged in the scriptures to follow after. And we're going to explore that today. We're going to ask the question, how can I, how can you pursue the promise of glory without losing our soul? We're going to look at uh, the entire text, most of it, at least out of chapter four. But before we do, will you take a minute? Let's just pause and posture ourselves before the Lord in a position where we're ready to hear from him. Will you pray with me? Jesus, this morning, we are just aware of how easily distracted we are. There's burdens that we carried into this room today. There's things that we're worried about and uncertain of. And I just ask that by your spirit this morning, we would be able to lay all of those things aside, that our hearts would be open to you, to your voice, to your encouragement, to your conviction this morning. Jesus, thank you for the words of Paul that he wrote so long ago to a group of Jesus followers that looked a lot different than we look sitting in here together today, but who experienced the same struggle, the same temptation to chase after the things of the world, to view our circumstances, the people around us, the world itself through a human lens rather than through your lens. So this morning, Father, I just... Recognize my dependence on you and realize that we so don't need my voice, we need your voice. We need to be moved towards you. So let that happen in each of us this morning as we just use our time together to draw near to you and to give you all of our life and our heart. In your name, amen. We are going to start by reading the entirety of our text today. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The treasure in jars of clay that Paul's talking about in the first six verses, we find out it's the light of the gospel within each of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There's that promise of eternal glory. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All right, I know that was a lot of text. We're going to break it down, and we are going to look at it as four steps that we can take to pursue this promise of glory that Paul's talking about, rather than spending our lives chasing after things that will never ultimately satisfy us. So the first step that we can take is to embrace the pattern of the life of a follower of Jesus. Embrace the pattern now in those first five verses that we just read, Paul uses some really beautiful language. He says we're hard pressed on every side. We're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, persecuted, but we're not abandoned. And this sounds really like poetic and lovely, but the reality is Paul is speaking from his own life experience. Paul endured incredible hardship for the sake of the gospel in order to bring the good news about Jesus to the known world. I want to actually read to you, this isn't in your notes, but I want to read to you um, just a little bit later in this letter, Paul begins to talk about what he's experienced. If you're curious or you want to make a note, I'm picking this up in verse 24 of chapter 11. Paul says five times, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep, I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Paul knew what he was talking about. He understood the hardship that comes with living life for the sake of the gospel. And what I think is really interesting is that Paul is actually patterning his life after the life of Jesus. Think about the life of Jesus. In the life of Jesus, his power came through submission, right? Victory actually came through death. The crucifixion came before the resurrection. His glory came through his suffering. That's the kind of Messiah that we follow. And I'm convinced that the only way for us to become true disciples of Jesus is to embrace this kingdom way of living. I want to read an account to you from the gospel of Luke. These are Jesus's own words, Um, but I want to set the stage just a little so you know where we're about to pick it up. Jesus was with his disciples and they were talking and, you know, he had started to really gain like a big following and people were excited about him and getting to know his name and great numbers of people are seeking him out, listening to his teaching, witnessing his miracles. And so Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's like, guys, who do people say that I am. And they answer and they say, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist and other people say that you're Elijah. And Jesus is like, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And in this moment of clarity, Peter responds and says, you're the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we've been waiting for. And that's where we're going to pick it up. This is um, Luke chapter nine, 21 to 25. Jesus strictly warned them, not to tell this to anyone, but he's the Messiah. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Pause there just one second. These words to the disciples' mind would have been so incredibly difficult to wrap their heads around because the Jewish people had been living under the oppression of Rome where they were just being like taxed unbelievably. Their life was very difficult. Rome made life as a Jewish person, very, very difficult. And so the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come as the conquering King to rescue them out from under the oppression of Rome and to bring Israel back to its like glory days. And so hearing Jesus, who has just been identified as the Messiah, the promised one, say that he's going to go into Jerusalem, but not as the conquering king, but as the suffering servant would have been like a little bit mind blowing for the disciples. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Listen to what he says next. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? What I love about these verses is that Jesus is so upfront and honest. He just lays it out there. He says, if you want to be my disciple, not you should, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, And follow me. And then he makes a statement about reality. He says, Listen, you can live your life on your own terms, trying to find it, trying to save it. But what will happen is that you will lose it because Jesus knows that we cannot be satisfied by the false, empty promises of this world. But then the good news is he's like, But listen, if you embrace my way of living, if you lose your life for me, You will find it. It's just a statement about reality. I think so often, and I am talking to myself here more than anybody else in this room, so often we want the gifts of Jesus. We want to experience joy and peace and hope, but we are unwilling to embrace the way of Jesus. I want to be generous, but I also want to be rich. I want to be patient. But I don't want to wait. I want to walk by faith, but I want to know what's going to happen next. I hate living in the unknown. I want to live in community, but I don't want to deal with difficult people. And how many people know community is difficult? (laughs) I'm glad to be not alone in this. All of these things. I want to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth, but I don't really want to leave my house right? Like this is the reality that I think we feel the tension that we all experience. We want the gifts of Jesus. We want the life of Jesus, but sometimes we're unwilling to embrace the way of Jesus. Following Jesus will cost you, but you will gain everything. Everything. I was talking to my daughter Ashlyn this week. She's 14 years old. She's in eighth grade and she's taking a family health and consumer sciences class at school, and it's an elective, so it's just a a one-semester class, so she's right at the beginning of this class. And earlier this week, the teacher asked the students to write down two names of students that they would like to work with, because they do a lot of group work in this class, and then two names of students that they didn't want to work with. And Ashlyn was telling me like, mom, I, I decided not to write any names down. Like I'm just going to partner with whoever needs a partner. And so her nice, and, and she was saying like, I'm a little bit nervous because I'm going to end up with the kids that nobody else wants to partner with. Right. But that was an intentional decision that she made. And as I was talking to her about it, I was like, Ash, like I've been studying this the past couple of weeks, and so often when we read these verses about taking up our cross, we think about what the cross represents, right? The cross was a device for torture and death. And most of us here in America are not going to be asked to literally physically die for the sake of the gospel. That is not the case for brothers and sisters in other parts of the world today. But for us here we are probably not going to be asked to lay down our physical life for the sake of the gospel. But what we are called to is a million little deaths, a million daily choices to not consider only my own desires, only getting my needs met, watching out for number one, but instead to really take on this way of living, this choice towards self-denial, turning away from our own desires and turning towards the needs around us. So I think all of us, no matter what your stage of life is, whether you're a young student like Ashlyn, or retired, empty nesters, or somewhere in between, raising kids, working, whatever your life entails. If you are in relationship with a single other person, and that's everybody, you have an opportunity to do this day in and day out. The question is, do we do it? Do we make the hard decision? That brings us to the second step that we can take if we want to pursue the promise of eternal glory without losing our souls. And that's we we need to understand the purpose of living in this upside-down kingdom. Why do this? This is hard. This life of self-denial, of taking up our cross daily to follow Jesus, it doesn't come without cost. But Paul in verse 15, listen to what he says. He's just finished talking about the hardships that he has endured for the sake of the gospel. And he says, all of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause Thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. This is how the kingdom is built. Every time somebody embraces the true life that we have in Jesus, the kind of life that leads us to self-denial, to finding joy in serving, satisfaction in seeing other people thrive and experience the gospel, every time one of us does that, there are ripple effects, right? My question for you is who is being impacted by your decision to either embrace this cruciform life Or not. Because it doesn't matter who you are, there are people in this world that are impacted by how you choose to live. I know when I look back at my own life, I can see countless people who came before me, who chose the way of Jesus in order that I might experience the grace that Paul is talking about here. And it is because of those decisions that people before me made to usher in to my life the goodness of Jesus that I'm standing here today. And every one of us has an opportunity and not just an opportunity, but a calling to press in to this Jesus way of living in the upside down kingdom for the sake of the gospel, because this is how God builds his kingdom. Third thing, if we want to chase after this eternal glory that will not disappoint. We've got to follow the pathway of organizing our life around the priorities and the practices of Jesus. We've got to look at the way that we're living, to the, at the rhythms and the routines that make up our days and our weeks and our months and our years. In verse 16, Paul keeps going and he says, outwardly, we're wasting away but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. I kind of got stuck there for a little bit as I was studying because I was thinking, do I experience this kind of daily renewal? Because life is hard, right? There's no getting around that. We deal with difficulties every day. That's just part of the reality of being a human in the broken world that we live in right now. Life is hard. Do I experience this daily renewal that Paul is talking about here? Or is my life characterized by being stressed and busy and overcommitted and overwhelmed and exhausted? And if I'm being honest, sometimes it's the latter. Sometimes I'm not walking in this daily renewal that Paul is talking about. When we look at the life of Jesus, this would actually be a great like, study if you wanted to carry this on on your own. Go through the Gospels and highlight in your Bibles every time you see a practice or a priority of Jesus. And what you're going to see is things like Sabbath and solitude and prayer and fasting and community and generosity and scripture reading and service. These are things that just made up the rhythm of the life of Jesus. Do our lives line up with that. I want to read to you some words out of the gospel of Matthew chapter 11, and if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, these are probably familiar words to you, but I want to invite us to come to them with a a fresh perspective and an open heart. This is Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30. This is Jesus talking to a crowd, and he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, A yoke is something that we're not overly familiar with. We don't live in like a farming society anymore, but a yoke was actually a piece of farming equipment. It's like a wooden beam that hooks two oxen together and enables them to keep in step to pull a heavy load. But that's not the only thing that a yoke was. A yoke was also a Jewish idiom in the first century that actually referred to a particular rabbi's way of interpreting the Torah, the scriptures, and their particular set of teachings about how to be human. So every rabbi actually had a yoke, but Jesus stands out here because he's saying, listen, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will show you a new way to live that will actually enable you to live out of a place of rest rather than a place of just overwhelm, exhaustion, which I think is what most of us experience at least some of the time. Not only was the yoke, you know, this Jewish idiom, but as we just mentioned, it was also an actual piece of equipment that you would use to work. Jesus is talking to tired people and saying, like, let me give you some work equipment. And there's, you know, a little bit of humor in that, I think. But I I came across a commentary by a man named Frederick Bruner that I thought was just brilliant. This is a commentary on the book of Matthew. There's a couple volumes. This comes out of his first volume. And I actually just want to read you his words about this passage of Scripture because I thought it was just so good. He says, A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. That's funny, right? But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to carry responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens that we cannot get away from. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his yoke will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give us more rest than the way that we have been living. I think that's so beautiful. And I think what it it invites us to do is to just ask the question, does my life line up with the practices and the priorities that I see Jesus centering his life around? And if the answer is no, maybe there's some changes that God's calling us to make. There's a a quote in the business world. I don't really know who to attribute it to because I've seen it lots of different places, but there's this saying that every system is perfectly designed to produce the exact result that it produces. Our temptation sometimes is to be like, oh, well, why am I getting this result? This is ridiculous. This shouldn't be. But every system, even if the result isn't what you wanted, the problem is with the system, right? The result is just an outcome of whatever system is in place. So if you are living in a place right now where you're like, you know what? I'm not experiencing this daily renewal. I do feel overcommitted and overwhelmed and exhausted and stressed out. I think maybe the problem is the system. And I'm speaking to myself here. I have made a lot of changes over the last year, Joel and I together, in trying to just incorporate into our daily lives more of what we see in the gospel and less of what we see in the culture. I want to offer you just a few questions that have been helpful to us, not in any way as condemnation, but as an invitation to help you consider where you might want to make some changes. First question, how do you begin and end your days are you late before you even get out of bed is the first thing that you do grab your phone and start scrolling or do you set aside a little bit of time in the mornings and in the evenings to be with Jesus to reflect to prepare your heart for a day that's going to have its share of trouble but when you begin it with Jesus things change and this is really funny you got, I'm just going to be totally honest this is so funny but this is in my message this has been in my message all week long. And this morning, I woke up. My rhythm was a little bit different because all of our kids were other places last night, which like never happens. We have a lot of kids and there's always other people home, but it was just Joel and I. And so things were like a little bit like off kilter because our our rhythms were different and I'm teaching and I'm going to ask this question of all of you this morning. And I rolled over and I grabbed my phone and opened my email first thing this morning. Not kidding. And I've been working really hard on breaking that habit. So just saying, I'm like right here with you. This is all of us being invited to change the way that, that we're living, change our rhythms and routines. The next question, do you have margin in your schedule? Interruptions detours, they are going to happen. And if we don't have margin in our schedule, then they will throw everything out of whack. And instead of being able to see an interruption as an opportunity to love somebody, to serve somebody, to learn something, we're going to be immediately stressed out, angry, short-tempered. Are you generous? Are you generous with your time, with your talent, and with your money? Or are you constantly in that scarcity mindset that there's just never enough, never enough time, never enough money. Practice generosity and begin to see the way that your heart opens up. Do you have community? Jesus lived in community. Do we live in that kind of community? Who in your life knows what you're struggling with right now? Who is praying for you right now? And if you don't have somebody that quickly comes to mind, it might be time to invest in community. Come next week after church to the home group interest meeting, have lunch with the home group leaders and learn a little bit about what it means to be part of a home group, to be part of community. Do you serve? Does part of your weekly rhythm involve serving, whether here in the church or in the community, in your kids' classrooms, at a local soup kitchen? Do you serve? And then lastly, how is your relationship with technology? I'm pretty convinced that one of the biggest deterrents for us today in our culture to living this cruciform life, to really being a follower of Jesus, is we are so distracted there is so much distraction in the world around us. And it's right at our fingertips. It's in our pocket all the time. This has been a big area for me over the last year of making some very intentional changes that have only been beneficial for my family, for myself, for the people that I am in relationship with in my real everyday life. So I just want to invite you to consider one or two of those. Think about it. Talk about it over the week. Pray about it. And just ask the question, Jesus, where are you calling me to something different? That brings me to the last point. The last step that we can take if we want to embrace this cruciform life, if we want to pursue the promise of eternal glory, we have to focus our perspective on what is eternal. In the very last verse in this chapter, Paul says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We are going to get distracted. We are going to start chasing after the things that are seen, the things that are temporary. We're going to give in to the lie that something other than Jesus will satisfy us. But what we do when we catch ourselves going down that path, that's what's really important here. When we, when we realize that our heart has started to chase after whatever the thing is that will not satisfy you, catch yourself, refocus, turn to Jesus, focus your eyes on what is eternal, what is unseen. I think there are a lot of people, especially in our Western culture today, who believe in Jesus They believe the truth of the gospel, but Jesus said, I am not only the truth, but he's also the what? The way I am the way he is the way, not just the truth. Believing in Jesus is not the same as following Jesus as becoming a disciple of Jesus an apprentice to Jesus. I love John Mark Comer. He's a teacher that has helped me a lot in this pursuit of uh, chasing after the rhythms and routines of Jesus' life and trying to line my life up with that. And he says that becoming a disciple of Jesus is about three things. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. That's way beyond just believing a set of theological truths. And Jesus... He offers us a a kind of life. He said in John 10, 10, that he came to give us life and give us life in abundance. But it does not come through just believing the right set of teachings. It comes through actually beginning to follow him, to giving him access to every single area of our lives. We have got to move from believing in Jesus to following him, to becoming his disciple. It's easy to think when you hear a message like this, well, not right now. Once I get through this busy season at work, once I pay off my student loans, once I have this baby, once I get that job, whatever it is, don't do that. Dallas Willard has such a great quote in one of his books. I can't remember which one, but he said, God only ever blesses people exactly where they're at. So don't wait for the right set of circumstances. Don't wait to get yourself figured out and cleaned up. Come to Jesus today, just as you are, in the exact set of circumstances that you are in, and give him access to every area of your life. Allow him not just to be the truth, but to be the way. Embrace him as savior in every area of your life. And if you're sitting in here today and you're like, I, I've never followed Jesus this way. Maybe you believe the gospel. Maybe you're not even sure if you're there yet. Go ahead and put all your weight on Jesus. Just step out with the tiny little bit of faith you might have right now. He will not let you fall. You will not be disappointed. You will not be dissatisfied. We have all we need in him and what would happen if all of us stopped just believing and actually stepped into the life that god has given us and began to live in the way that he's called us to live to deny ourselves for the sake of knowing him and his spirit and his truth and his love and his joy because that is the only way to follow jesus is to deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him start today What I want to do, we're going to end going back into just a little time of worship and take this time before you go out into the rest of your day and the rest of your week to take inventory with Jesus. I bet for some of you, as you've been listening today, there's some really specific things that you know Jesus is asking you to do. Maybe it's to stop one habit and start another, Maybe it's something that he's calling you to step out in faith to do. Whatever it is, take inventory of your life, of the practices and the priorities of your life. And then make a commitment to Jesus to just trust him and follow him into what might be a little bit uncomfortable. And then share it with somebody else who can pray for you and encourage you. Let's stand together and worship and then we'll close in prayer before we go.
1: Burn with holy fear, purified in faith and deed Define her strengthens strengthen what remains So we the church, should bear your light Lamp of flame, city bright King and kingdom come is word. Hey yeah.
0: thank you for just the goodness of the gospel. Thank you for this offer of true life that will satisfy us. God, I pray that our desires would just be met in you, that we would bring them all to you and that we would begin to experience right now in the middle of the mess of life, the abundant life that you offer us. God, the places where maybe we're feeling ashamed or convicted, I pray that we would just bring them before you and find freedom in actually handing them over to you and beginning to allow you to shape us, to shape the pattern of our days. Because we know that our days are what make up our lives and the way that we spend them matters. Jesus, thank you that we get to know you, that we get to experience your love for us. Let us walk in that. Let us be formed by that identity and by nothing else. And let us just go from here today excited about seeking after you, about being your follower, being your disciple, and moving beyond just believing. We ask this all in your name. Amen.